Blog Talk Radio. Hey, once again, everybody, welcome back to my program, the Michael Cutler Hour. Uh, we gave you a 15-minute sneak peek, and then uh, I messed up my programming, so we're going to do a full hour starting right now. Um, as I mentioned during my, if you want to call it that, introduction, um, you know, we're dealing with so many um, difficult situations, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. By the way, I have to make this point, and I know I've spoken about this before, whether you agreed with her policies or not. She was truly an American pioneer and a great American. And um, the fact, it was very telling and very appropriate that she was the first woman and the first Jew, two things, to lie in state under the Capitol Rotunda. This was a woman who was first-generation American. I can certainly relate to her. In fact, she went to the same high school that my own kids attended. After 9-11, I was given the privilege of addressing an auditorium filled with um, the teachers, the faculty, and the students when they had returned from testifying before Congress in the wake of 9-11. Uh, it was, it was a, a tough time back then also. America had been attacked. It was the worst terror attack in the history of our country. Uh, I was very honored because within 24 or 48 hours of the attack, my phone began ringing, people from Washington contacting me news media because I had testified before Congress. I had worked on terrorism investigations, uh, and I was asked to go testify to co- before Congress to try to sort things out. Everybody was so concerned about the vulnerabilities that the attacks clearly demonstrated. It wasn't the first time we were attacked. We were attacked multiple times, but the magnitude of that attack certainly had everybody's undivided attention. What is incredible today, and we're going to talk about it shortly in more detail, is you would almost not even know that we had a terror attack. All the recommendations and findings of the 9-11 Commission have gone out the window, particularly in sanctuary cities. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard the all-clear sound. You know, President Trump certainly ended ISIS using our special forces and military did a brilliant job, brilliant campaign to end ISIS, which the prior administration, the, the Biden-Obama administration, called the JV uh, League team or whatever they call them. Brilliant. Uh, and those thugs created a caliphate. They were beheading journalists and innocent people. The atrocities they committed, the civilians that they were mowing down, unbelievable. And the Obama administration not only didn't do anything, but by not acting appropriately, encouraged and facilitated the expansion of the ISIS caliphate. Uh, And and it cost a lot of people their lives. Nobody's talking about that. It was the Trump administration that brought it to a screeching halt, but it doesn't mean that the all clear sounded. So we're going to talk a little bit about the continuing threat of terrorism, because I do want to focus on the proposals of the Biden-Harris, or maybe more appropriately, Harris-Biden, Bernie Sanders, uh, however many other radicals you want to throw into that soup, uh, their policies. And and full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These people have lost their minds. They're not Democrats. They're anything but. But in any event, um, think of how Ruth Bader Ginsburg got along with Antonin Scalia. They were on opposite sides of the fence legally many times. But that did not stop them from becoming very good friends. They would go on trips together with their respective families. They would go to the opera together, for which they both had a passion. That's what America is supposed to be about. This notion of I disagree with what you say, but I will, dis- I will defend to the death your right to say it. Tomorrow I am going to be doing my podcast for Dennis Michael Lynch, Team DML. It's a subscription service. I would urge you to consider uh, going there, signing up. Um, 
up to you, obviously. I, I do video podcasts at least once a week, sometimes more frequently for Team DML. But one of the disconcerting articles that they've asked me to discuss, and I will tomorrow, and I want to talk about it briefly here, um, is that Fox News just ran a report that a surprising percentage of students find violent censorship acceptable. So if you don't like something that someone's going to say, you have the right to riot, you have the right to keep them from being heard, whatever happened to the First Amendment, folks? The Constitution isn't a suggestion. The Constitution is the document that, upon which we anchor the great American values. The problem that we have today is that kids in school are being taught to hate their own country. This is an astonishing situation. It's not sustainable to use the wacky left terminology. Not sustainable. They're teaching these kids about the 1619 Project, that America started with slavery so it can never redeem itself. Meanwhile, when criminals commit rape and armed robbery and everything else, these same people want to release the criminals onto the street because we have to have social justice. These are the perpetrators of the violent crimes, and all too frequently they go out and commit more violent crimes. But the United States of America, 400 years, 401 years, if you do the math, after 1619, we're still being um, held accountable for the crimes and the atrocities that were committed by people who have long since passed away. I don't know of any slave owners who are still alive. I do know, though, that Kamala Harris, from what I've read, her family owns slaves. Think about that. She's the descendant of slave owners. How interesting is that? You won't hear that in the mainstream media. So we hear this business about, well, America was started with slavery. Yeah, we did start with slavery. That's the truth. That's history. But at the time, almost every other country engaged in that barbaric, immoral practice. We still have slaves today, folks, around the world. And it's ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the FBI that are seeking to bring human trafficking to a halt. The Biden administration, if they, God forbid, come into power, want to end immigration law enforcement. But they're upset about the slavery from 1619, but they're willing to deal with slavery today. Remove the agency that would combat human trafficking, human slavery, sex slavery of children. Think about all this. So we've got kids believing that it's appropriate to use whatever force is necessary to shut people up they disagree with. That's not how a democracy or a republic operates. Some of my conservative friends get nuts when they say democracy, and they say, oh, no, this is a republic. Well, for those of you that might take issue, the idea of a republic is the way the government is structured, but the principle that underlies this great republic is the principle of democracy, government of the people. How is this government of the people when the government is bought and, and, and paid for by lobbyists who get exactly what they want. We've turned this great republic into an oligarchy. I mentioned it during uh, that 15-minute segment that I did earlier. So it's okay to these kids to go out there and be violent and shut people up you don't like. What happens when people who are bigger and stronger than they are decide to shut them up? Oops. I was going to teach debate on the college level. Debate is economic capital, or I'm sorry, intellectual capitalism. You bring your ideas to the marketplace, and you debate, you argue against people who would take a different approach, and whoever wins, wins. That's how you come up with best solutions. That's how you find ways of solving problems, by figuring out what's the best way of solving a problem. You have a debate. Do we take course A or course B or course C? Are they all not acceptable, or maybe they all have some merit? I don't know. The debate is where you can try to figure that out. I don't think anybody should be able to get a high school diploma or, or, or a college degree without spending at least one full year as an active participant on a debating team. It forces you to think on your feet, to engage in critical reasoning, understand the critical use of language and communication. It makes you a more effective human being, a better citizen within a democratic republic. But more and more kids today are now of the belief it's okay to use violence to shut people up. And we're seeing it. It's called Antifa. It's called Antifa. We're going to shut people up. You wear a cap that has 
MAGA on it, make America great again. You don't agree with Trump? That's fine. Vote for Biden. Go for it. Vote for some other candidate. Don't vote at all. That's your prerogative. No, what are we seeing? Elderly people wearing a cap that says make America great again, getting punched in the face because it's okay to beat people up if you disagree with them. Until someone takes a baseball bat and smashes their head in, and then you're going to hear a different story. So they will get crazy about one side of the extreme equation, but not the other side. Let's be clear about it. Extremism is un-American, and I don't care what flavor it takes. My family was decimated in the Holocaust because of the extremists known as Nazis, the Third Reich. I was named for my mother's mother who was killed in Poland because of our religion. That's the ultimate expression of if you don't agree with them, bash their heads in. If you don't agree with them, put them in gas chambers, right? And you've got the radical left screaming about the radical right. Really? Any extremist, anyone who believes that they have the right to shut people up is a danger to this country, and they need to be dealt with appropriately. And interestingly, President Trump declared the KKK a terrorist organization. I agree. But so is Antifa. And when you look at what Black Lives Matter and Vice Presidential Candidate Harris embraces them, Tucker Carlson had a very interesting program on yesterday. I'm sorry I don't know the program where, where uh, Kamala Harris, he said that it happened within the last week or so, saying that Black Lives Matter is the truest agent for change. And what are some of the things they want? A complete and total end to the Border Patrol a complete and total end to immigration law enforcement at ICE, an end to the Drug Enforcement Administration, an end to punitive policing. That was the words that Harris used, punitive policing. This woman was a prosecutor. Put people in jail. Put people in jail, very often people of color. But she comes out now and says, oh, no, we must end punitive policing. And if people run the border, they should face no consequences. Let's understand why we have immigration laws. I've spoken about it before, but we have to put it back into context of this election that's coming up. The reason we have borders is to protect our people. If you think back to the World War II movies, the World War I movies, all these commando films, you know, one of those really iconic scenes are the paratroopers in the airplane with blackface on, and they're checking their weapons, and they're going to jump out of an airplane with parachutes and land behind the enemy lines. We've all seen those scenes in the movies, right? 30 seconds over Tokyo, airplanes flew over Tokyo and bombed Tokyo to send a message to the Tokyo people. Hey, maybe you launched a sneak attack and maybe you, 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 know, you blew a Pearl Harbor, but don't think we can't reach you where you live. Psychologically, that was really important and brilliant. And General Doolittle and his men, amazing. They flew to Tokyo knowing full well they did not have enough uh, fuel to get back home. Many of them, in fact, crash-landed in China. Um, we used to have a great relationship with China. Uh, not so much anymore. Communism has d- done strange things to the way people see other people on this planet. So the idea, though, of these soldiers, these commandos, in blackface with all their gear and all their weapons, and they're about to jump in the middle of the night and land behind enemy lines, Do you know what enemy lines are, folks? International borders. On 9-11, terrorists came to America not by bailing out of airplanes, but by landing in airplanes as passengers and lying about who they were, why they were here. They got visas by fraud. They made false claims to political asylum. But they had to get behind the enemy lines. The enemy lines for them, the borders of the United States of America. So without borders and without means of enforcing borders, we are vulnerable, number one, to terrorists. Think about that. I don't know of anybody who would get on an airplane without people being screened by TSA, but yet they would like to have people enter America without any sort of screening process. Chuck Schumer wrote a proposal for a law about five years ago. It was on his website. It's still there, where he said that trespass is dangerous when people trespass on bridges and critical infrastructure and national landmarks, they should face five years in jail. It needs to be a federal crime. But the same Schumer says, but when you trespass on America, now you've earned citizenship. The hypocrisy, the stupidity, I don't know what to call it, 
is mind-numbing. And I had friends who went to school with Chuck Schumer. He went to the same school that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg went to, the same school my kids went to. Schumer and Ginsburg and um, Bernie Sanders all came from my neighborhood, believe it or not. And Chuck Schumer, from what I understand, had a perfect score on his SATs. He's not stupid. I just think he's morally bankrupt, which is even worse, which is even worse. He's a smart guy with no scruples and no morals because nobody in their right mind would call for legalizing millions of illegal aliens, which is what they are now proposing, a massive amnesty program. By the way, the Republicans wanted it also. Why? To drive those people, not out of the shadows. That's nonsense. They didn't want to hire more agents to look for the aliens who wouldn't come forward on their own. It was to move them into the waiting rooms of law firms. Think about that. And by the way, that's why comprehensive immigration reform would have paid the legal fees for all the illegal aliens. And people say, well, they're pandering to the illegals. You don't pander to the powerless. That's stupid. No. You know why they were going to pay the legal fees? Because the lawyers hate to work for free. You've had immigration lawyers from both parties occupying key positions in oversight committees and subcommittees that deal with immigration. Robert Goodlatte, Bob Goodlatte, the former chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which has responsibility for overseeing immigration. I know I testified before the House Judiciary. I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committees numerous times. They oversee immigration. Well, Bob Goodlatte was an immigration lawyer who specializes in H-1B visas. You wonder why they were trying to push through more H-1B visas on his watch? It's called feathering your nest, okay? And then he told me during a heated argument that his son, Bobby Goodlatte, loves to bring in lots and lots, thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers. And I said, really, what are Americans, chopped liver? My first wife, who died of cancer many years ago, tragically, young woman, um, was a brilliant programmer, had her MBA in computer science. She was a member of National Math Honor Society. And almost all of her colleagues who worked for her, at that young age, she had a team of over 30 programmers working for her when she passed away. Um, they all had similar credentials, all MBAs, graduated with honors, Phi Beta Kappa graduates, They've been losing their jobs and being displaced by foreign workers. Why? Because that's what the corporations want, and the corporations provide campaign contributions that are nothing more than bribes. And the lawyers are all in. And by the way, Zoe Lofgren, the current chairperson of the House Immigration Subcommittee, Democrat, and I've testified in front of Zoe also, as I did before Goodlatte, also immigration lawyer. So understand what's happening. They're taking care of themselves and their colleagues, they're doing what they're told to do, and they accept that bribe known as a campaign contribution, and they're screwing Americans out of their livelihoods. That's where America is today. This isn't capitalism. It's corporate welfare. That's really what it is. So you have these Democrats saying we're going to give Americans good-paying jobs. How many times has Biden said that? By we're going to build back better, build back better. Wow. He likes the letter B. It's not even a B idea. It's a D or an F idea, because here's why. If you have no immigration law enforcement, that means no Border Patrol, which they've said. That's what BLM says. Pay more attention to Harris than, than, than Joe Biden, because Harris, look at her background, look what she stands for, the, the, the descendant of slave owners wants to enslave America through poverty. Truthfully, you eliminate immigration law enforcement. Do you know that prior to the Second World War, immigration law enforcement was primarily the responsibility of the Labor Department? Do you know that the two presidents who pushed most heavily to enforce immigration laws were polar opposites, but they had the same concerns? Franklin Delano Roosevelt was adamant about enforcing immigration laws made certain that we had those laws. Why? To make sure that American workers would not lose their jobs to foreign workers and that foreign workers wouldn't flood the labor pool and drive down wages. He was strong on immigration enforcement. Ironically, Bernie Sanders back in 2006 said, it's crazy to bring in all these foreign workers. We've got to go after the employers. It's killing the middle class. It's killing jobs. It's killing opportunities. It's killing the American dream for America. Bernie Sanders said that in 2006. So who got to him? Is he being blackmailed? Is he being bribed? What's going on here? Um, Harry Reid said that it was insane to give citizenship to the children of illegal aliens. And Harry Reid comes out demanding comprehensive immigration reform. 
What happened to Harry Reid? We've seen this time and time again. Obama talked about the need to enforce the immigration laws and, of course, opened up the borders and did everything in his power to destroy immigration law enforcement. So did George W. Bush. After 9-11, when he put DHS together, I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. Who got to him? The globalist George W. Bush. When I testified at a hearing, I've spoken about it before, and I've written about this for Front Page Magazine. John Hostover, who was the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, but wasn't a lawyer. He was an engineer. Totally different approach. I had planned to be an engineer. Two of my kids are engineers. Engineers fix things. Lawyers look to sue everybody and make money by, by screwing people over for the most part. Boy, Shakespeare, you know, first get rid of the lawyers. So he quoted what, what was going on because of George W. Bush. It's splitting immigration in half, making certain that immigration laws would not be enforced even after the terror attacks of 9-11 when it was crystal clear to everybody that immigration was the reason that the terrorists succeeded. And not just on 9-11, but repeatedly prior to that time. And since then also, every foreign national who has come to America and committed its act of terror has committed multiple violations of our immigration laws. And now Biden and Harris want to eliminate immigration law enforcement, period. Boom. Defund the police, defund immigration enforcement. But somehow we're going to get you great paying jobs. How? If we do a massive amnesty program, which is what Biden and Harris have proposed, legalize everyone. Hillary tried to pull this garbage on us the last time. They're estimating 11 million illegal aliens would benefit. That's as bogus as when Reagan gave us the million alien amnesty that turned into almost 4 million. But that's not the full number, folks, because each and every alien who gets legalized, and by the way, according to MIT and other universities, there's at least twice as many illegals here. They're estimating close to 25 million. I think that's even a low number. But let's work with 25 million. Third world families typically have many children. So if you legalize 25 million and on average they bring in three, four children each, let's say, four children each, it could be five, could be eight, we don't know. And they're going to lie about these kids and they're going to have to do DNA testing. We don't have the resources to interview any of them. We don't have the resources to do any field investigations to make sure they are who they say they are. And they didn't get here 10 days ago when they claimed they got here 10 years ago. There'll be no integrity to the process. It's over. And by the way, it just took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost at Pearl Harbor to the entire Japanese fleet. Think what that couple in San Bernardino did. Think about the Tsarnaev brothers and what they did. It doesn't take that many terrorists to kill lots of people. It's called asymmetrical warfare. So every time we make a mistake, we open the door to possibly giving the keys to the kingdom to a terrorist. That's why the process needs to have integrity. That's why immigration fraud is a huge issue. I just wrote about immigration fraud in my last article about a, a man who came here from, from uh, China, um, alleged to have become a spy for China, and he was working as a member of the New York City Police Department, and he'd been in the Army Reserves, uh, lied about his application for asylum. I can't go back to China. I can't go back to my native Tibet. Meanwhile, after we gave him political asylum, he voluntarily went back to Tibet, just the way the Tsarnaev family said we can never go back to Russia. As soon as they got asylum, they went back to Russia. And then they carried out the terror attack. So immigration fraud is huge. The first time I testified before Congress was back in 97. The topic of the hearing was immigration fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of the 93 terror attacks. The shooting at the CIA by, by a guy by the name of Kansi from Pakistan who had applied for asylum. And then one month later, February of 93, the bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured a 1,000, inflicted a half billion in damages, almost brought the tower down sideways. The goal of the terrorists was to kill 250,000 people. And according to engineers I spoke with, they almost succeeded. They almost succeeded. And the Clinton administration did nothing. They pushed 1.1 million aliens through the citizenship process frequently before fingerprints even came back. Turns out we naturalized lots of criminals thanks to Clinton. And many of the employees at, at the old INS went to internal affairs and said that this was malfeasance and people should be prosecuted for this. They couldn't find any political connection, but they agreed that it was malfeasance. No political connection, sure thing. So here we go again. They want legalization, which means no interviews, no field investigations. 
It would also mean, as I'm telling you, that perhaps as many, as many as a hundred million children could come to America literally overnight. Where am I getting the number from? 25 million illegal aliens get lawful status. They would immediately have the right, and that does make sense. If you give someone the ability to live permanently in a country, you expect that they're going to live with their nuclear family, their spouses, and their minor children. So they could immediately bring their spouses here if they're not here already, and they could immediately bring all their children here if they're not here already. And if we're talking about four children per average illegal alien, you're talking about a hundred million children going to our schools immediately. The schools can't cope right now, folks, especially with COVID and everything else. Plus, the Congressional Budget Office back in 2006 did a study and said it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who can't read, speak, or write English. What would happen if we suddenly imported 100 million students? Now, think of the inflation this creates. Think about sustainability. We're talking now about it's not just a pillow for them to put their head down on. They need water. They need food. They need sewerage. They go to the bathroom. They need electricity, clothing, shelter, transportation, medical care. For free. They're going to get all this for free. What would this do to inflation? What would this do to the environment? We have water shortages and electric shortages around the country periodically. What happens if we add 100 million people? And then perhaps some of the spouses come, so the number could be 110 million, 120. We have no idea. But the word many certainly seems appropriate. Forget this 11 million nonsense. Oh, 11 million, we're a country of 300 million. That's fine, 330 million, whatever our numbers are. No big deal. We could handle 11 million. I wish it was 11 million. But we're talking about perhaps over 100 million children. Now, guess what children do, God willing? They grow up and become adults. So now we're looking at 100 million workers competing for jobs with Americans. But Biden is promising, oh, you're going to have better jobs, and they're going to pay more. And then they want the Green New Deal, so we're going to have to retrofit houses. So if you have a house, lots of luck, because God knows how many tens of thousands of dollars you may have to spend to make sure that your house is energy compliant, because they want to do away with the use of petroleum and everything else under the sun, literally under the sun. This is a prescription for a disaster. Now, free health care for illegal aliens and no control over the border. You know what this would do, folks? It would turn the United States of America into the emergency room for the world. The primary concern of our immigration laws going back 100 years and to this very day, if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, Those are the grounds for excluding aliens from the United States, aliens who are deemed by law to be inadmissible. Contrary to the lies you've been hearing, this isn't about race. There isn't a single word in that section of law that treats anybody differently based on race, religion, or ethnicity. Not one single word. Nada is not a damn thing. It starts out with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or aliens who have serious mental illness. Ellis Island was a quarantine station, I remind you. It was run by public health in conjunction with immigration law enforcement. So the whole point was keep people out who have dangerous diseases so we don't wind up with a pandemic the way we are right now. Remember when Donald Trump said we're not going to let people in from China? That was in order to make certain that we didn't permit people with dangerous communicable diseases to come to America and create a problem. Well, it happened anyway. And, of course, we're hearing from the left that what the president did was all wrong. He didn't do what he should have done. He should have acted sooner. In the beginning of March, Nancy Pelosi in California and Governor Cuomo from New York and Mayor de Blasio in New York, D-U-H, de Blasio in New York, told people, go to Chinatown, mingle with the people, take part in the parade, celebrate with us. If you're not willing to do it, you're a xenophobe, a hater, and a bigot. That was in March. 
And when the president in January said we're going to end the, the entry of people from China into the United States, they called him a racist, a bigot, a hater, etc. And now they're saying he didn't act fast enough. I mean, stop and think about the lunacy to all of us. Let's be fair and honest. Let's deal with the facts, not the lies, not propaganda, but the truth. So if you have no control over your borders and if you're offering free health care to anybody who comes here, what's to stop people with dangerous diseases that we've never seen in this country or that we thought we vanquished 50, 60, 80 years ago showing up in the ER saying, treat me, here I am. They have promised everybody gets free health care. Everybody gets free health care. If you can't control who's coming into the country, people can get on airplanes, fly to Canada, fly to Mexico, run the border, get on a boat, get off the boat along our 95,000 miles of coastline, make their way into a hospital, and say, here I am, take care of me. It will be an influx of people with dangerous diseases causing more illness in the United States. The hospitals will overflow. In New York, a number of hospitals went bankrupt because people who had no health insurance came in and said, treat me, and under the law, they cannot be turned away. Emergency medical requirements of the law say you cannot turn anyone away who does not have medical insurance. So a lot of hospitals in New York and elsewhere around the country went bankrupt. And what does that mean? The hospitals are gone. So that means there are fewer hospitals. So if you, God forbid, need to go to an emergency room, bring a sleeping bag. You're going to be there a long time. We had one woman back, I think, in 2008 who died in the waiting room of a, of a hospital because there was not enough people to take care of her. She actually called 911 from the ER and said, I'm having chest pain or whatever her problem was. Please help me. Well, they eventually got to her when they found her dead body on the floor. This is what we're talking about. This isn't that I lack compassion, folks. But there's over 6 billion people who would want to come to America if they could come here. We can't bring the world here. When you arrange a party, whether it's a wedding, a birthday party, a bar mitzvah, a confirmation, Easter dinner, Christmas dinner, I don't care what it is. You have a whole list of names. Oh, I'd like to invite all these people. And then you look at the list. You go, oh, my gosh, we have 110 names. I I can't do this. So you go from 110 names to 30 names. What happened? Well, you realize you have limits. You have a limited budget. The place you're going to hire has limited seating. Maybe you're going to have people come to your house, but you have only so many place settings at the table. And even if you put another table out, how many more people can you invite So you start crossing people off the list, not because you dislike them, not because you hate them, but because you know you have limits. That's how it works with our visa process. As it is, we admit a million lawful immigrants each and every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. So if anyone says, gee whiz, we need to be careful not to lose jobs to foreign workers, not to have people come here who have dangerous diseases, Biden and Harris and their friends would tell you you're a hater and a xenophobe. What about what happens to Americans? Doesn't that count? I was watching an interesting movie with Michael Douglas a few years ago. It was a sequel to Wall Street. It was called Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. And he starts out by addressing this audience. I think it was at um, Fordham University, perhaps. And it's a packed audience. And his character, supposedly, just got out of jail, Gordon Gecko. And he said, you folks, and he was addressing these college kids, have a lot to look forward to. You're the ninja generation. No income, no jobs, no assets. Well, isn't that where we are today? Kids graduating from college, they're paying off student loans that look like mortgage payments, and they can't get a job. Frequently, because people like Bob Goodlad and his buddies are bringing in H-1B visa workers, and this is something that the Democrats want to accelerate. They want more of those workers, and they want no immigration enforcement. So if someone comes here to work illegally, there'd be no consequences. If you hire an illegal alien, there'd be no consequences. I wrote an article about sanctuary cities, and you've got to love the word sanctuary, because it sounds so serene. You know, when I think of a sanctuary, other than a house of worship, 
I, I think about being, I don't know, in a park or, or a forest and babbling brooks and tweeting birds and blue skies and, oh, my goodness, it's just so wonderful. It's a sanctuary. No, sanctuary cities aren't wonderful. They're magnet cities. They attract people who can't come to America legally. It might be because they have no skills or they want to work and they legally can't work because they would take the job in American needs. Or maybe because they have a dangerous disease. Or maybe because they're wanted criminals, murderers, thugs, fugitives from justice, terrorists, gangbangers. Sanctuary cities attract that sort of person because they know that the police in those jurisdictions aren't going to cooperate with immigration. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? So these have become magnet cities. And what are they attracting? Well, some very dangerous people. And then you have the sanctuary policies wherein aliens are cut loose, even if they've been convicted of serious crimes. And when ICE says, well, we want to deport that person, they don't honor the detainer. They turn the guy loose or the gal loose on the street, and our people have to go look for them if they're lucky enough to find them without having a violent encounter. Who's benefiting from this? So when I listen to the debate, Joe Biden at one point accused the president of defunding the police. Now, if I was President Trump, I would have said, Joe, I thought that would make you happy. I mean, look, under Mayor de Blasio, a Democrat, radical Democrat, uh, they just defunded the New York City Police Department to the tune of a billion dollars. It took Chris Wallace to use the term defund. I don't know why President Trump didn't. If you look at California, they cut millions of dollars out of the budget for the LAPD. Minnesota, the same thing. Look at what's going on in Oregon. These are all defunded police departments. And the police departments where the federal funding was cut were sanctuary cities where you've had gang members. And I, and I can show you the articles. You can go to, to um, the ICE website, and they have a, a running account. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of people who've been turned loose, and they've committed more crime, more rapes, more murders, more stabbings, more shootings, more robberies, more drugs, more, more, more. Why would you do that? The idea to arrest people is to keep people who are dangerous off the street to protect the lives of, of the people that would fall victim to them. But now we're being told by the radical left that social justice demands that we put everybody back out on the street. Look at the murder rate in Chicago. Look at the murder rate in New York. Look at the murder rate in all these sanctuary cities. How many shootings there are. There were some cops who shouldn't be cops. But the emphasis is that anytime there's a shooting, if the media sees that the person who was shot is a black person, that's all you hear about. Cop shot another black. Well, what's interesting is that more whites than blacks are shot by police. Now, I, I realize that there's many more whites than blacks in America, so a black is more likely to be shot than a white. But is it because of the person's color, or was it the behavior? Or was it the fact that these statements have scared the hell out of young black men, and they're told, if you see red lights behind you, run for your life because they're going to hunt you down and kill you. We've heard this from these so-called celebrities. The police are hunting down black men. That's not happening, folks. But imagine you're a young black man, you don't know what to believe, and you're getting pulled over because without realizing it, you blew a red light, you ran a stop sign, you were going 80 miles an hour in a 50-mile zone, kid sees the, black, the, the red lights, and his behavior creates a nightmare. Or maybe the person was on drugs or was drunk or had outstanding. There's a whole bunch of issues that no one's addressing. But this is the narrative. And the media does nothing to rein it in. They encourage it. So if there's a shooting, if it's a white person who shot, you're not going to hear about it. If it's a black person who shot, you're going to hear about it. So that furthers this narrative furthers amps up the fears of young black people in their own communities, causing them to act in ways that are dangerous. I, I was almost killed doing a car stop. As a federal agent, we did many car stops. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do. So when the driver acts a certain way, you become concerned and things can quickly escalate. Instead of having classes and saying to people, you know, which is what my father did with me when I started driving. I did that with my kids. If you're pulled over by the police, put the light on in your car, 
If you're driving, put your hands on top of the steering wheel. If you're a passenger, put your hands on top of your knees. Don't talk. Don't move. Put the light on. Roll the windows down. Don't reach for anything until the police officer asks for it. If he says, I want to see your license, before you go for it, you say to the police officer, my license is in my wallet. My wallet is in my left back pocket. Do you want me to get my license? Don't do it until he says yes. Put yourself in the police officer's place. He wants to go home to his family. He's trying to enforce the law, wants to do it safely. He doesn't want anyone to get hurt. I can promise you that every day I went on duty, and I was an agent for 26 years. Every day I went on duty, I said a little prayer, please don't let me need my gun today. Thankfully, I never wound up having to shoot anybody. Came close on a number of occasions. Wasn't a good feeling. I was happy when the situation settled down where we didn't need to resort to deadly force. No rational person wants to shoot another person. So you've got Joe Biden accusing the president of defunding the police. Trump should have said, hey, isn't that what you want? And by the way, where we did cut funding, it was sanctuary cities. Because bad people were being put back out on the street. We've had cases of MS-13, for example, and I think I was the first agent in New York to start investigating them back in the early 90s. In Maryland, we had a case, and there have been many, but there's one in particular that I'm thinking about, where these two young gang members were arrested and charged with attempted murder and conspiracy to commit robbery and some other crimes, and they were released believe it or not, even though there was an ICE detainer which said we want them. They wouldn't honor the detainer. They turned them loose, and within two days, they found the young lady that they thought ratted them out to the police. She was 14 years old. Then they killed her with knives and baseball bats. What sense does this make? You have dangerous, violent thugs, and you would rather turn them loose than let immigration deport them? Why? Why is no one raising that issue? You know, Abraham Lincoln spoke of a country of the people, by the people, for the people. Really, what he was saying is make America great again, wasn't he? Country of the people. What people, folks? Americans. What is wrong with prioritizing the needs of your own citizens? Why are we dealing with illegal aliens and foreign workers in a way that hurts Americans? I mean, do you wonder why our kids today feel disenfranchised? Companies firing Americans, bringing in programmers from other countries, and you have Americans who could do the job and they're being told, beat it. Or you have kids coming out with degrees and they can't find work even though they have all the great qualifications they need to do the work. Understand how Americans have been disenfranchised by their own government, and we're paying a price for this now. There's a sense of hopelessness in today's generation. You add to that the way that kids have been indoctrinated with the notion that America is a terrible country. Never mind that America did everything possible to champion freedom around the world. Never mind that the French copied America down to the color of their flag. Our flag is red, white, and blue. Theirs is blue, white, and red. Because they saw America as that shining symbol of freedom. And now we're being told, no, forget that. Look back to 1619. Never mind criminals who commit crime today. And let's go out there and wear Nike sneakers that are made by slave labor in China. But that's okay. So you have kneeling athletes wearing shoes made by slaves, but they're screaming about 1619. The madness is that people are believing the nonsense. There was an interesting um, documentary that I saw. I believe it was last week, about Hawking and Einstein. And I knew that Einstein had fled from Germany because of anti-Semitism. What I didn't know was that he specifically was the target of anti-Semitism, where he was accused of believing in and preaching Jewish science. I kid you not, Jewish science. So I went and looked it up, and Scientific American had a story about this back in 2015. Einstein's theory on relativity both the general and specific, specific theories, if I can get the words out, were mocked and ridiculed. And two Nobel scientists from Germany were the point men for the criticism and the verbal attacks. And the documentary, so you saw near riots, people chanting and screaming and waving signs, denouncing Albert Einstein. 
saying that his notion of space-time was a fantasy and he was a liar and shouldn't be trusted and who needs him. So he fled to the United States. By the way, all of those theories have been validated over the last hundred years or so as our science has gotten better, down to black holes and even gravitational waves, which he predicted, all part of space-time. So the fact that he was a scientist, a physicist, that didn't matter. So today, if you disagree, let's say, about climate change, another, another interesting article is that there's this huge lava dome underneath Antarctica. But at the end of the article, it says this has nothing to do with, with, uh, with uh, glaciers melting. I'm not so sure. But the point is we're supposed to be able to question. And you have people in schools believing that it's okay to violently oppose those people that you disagree with. We're talking about the implementation of totalitarian fascist policies. And let me tell you, waiting in the wings to take over if America falters, we're not looking at Canada or or England and you say, well, so be it. The Yankees don't always have to win the World Series. No, waiting in the wings are China, Russia, Iran. In fact, it was the Trump administration that started through Bessie DeVos to look at all the billions of dollars being poured into our university campuses by China and Russia and and, and Saudi Arabia and, and countries that, believe me, uh, don't share our beliefs, don't, aren't happy to see America where it is. They would love to take us down so they could take over the world. So if America falters, uh, these idiots won't be in control for long. They'll be the first ones lined up by China, Russia, whoever it is that, uh, you know, seeks world domination. But again, if you're foolish and you didn't study history, make some really bad decisions. We have an obligation as Americans to have open conversations, and anybody who thinks otherwise poses a clear and present danger to America, Americans, and our, and our freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States. I just wish that Donald Trump had, had gone after Biden on those issues more forcefully. But Biden's strategy was to shut the president up, and he was actually the one that started interrupting the president, and he's done this in other debates. And people say, oh, Joe Biden's a nice guy. There's nothing nice about Joe Biden. And when you look at his son, Hunter Biden, who allegedly, allegedly had a billion-dollar deal or whatever the deal was with China and the whole business with the Ukraine, that money buys silence, buys complicity. That's a good way to extort somebody. We gave you the money. When your, when your fellow countrymen find out, what do you plan to do? So you become compromised. China is bent on ruling the world, on using their money to replace our money. They're in the Western Hemisphere seeking petroleum, seeking energy, and we're being told by, by these idiots in the Democrat Party, oh, we're going to do away with petroleum. If you look at the studies that have been done by scientists, Climate change is probably mostly driven by the sun and by normal processes. Remember, the Earth had undergone numerous ice ages and then thawed out again long before human beings first walked on the planet. And to my knowledge, no one has ever found dinosaur bones in the cab of an 18-wheeler truck, okay? Should we clean up the environment? Absolutely. And there's more Articles now about how nuclear fusion may actually happen in the next decade. It's always 20 years away. Nuclear fusion was 20 years away when I was 20 years old. I'm lots older now, and it's still 20 years away. But if we could ever find a way to make clean, plentiful energy, I'm all in. We pollute the environment. We kill ourselves. We're killing off other, other forms of life on our own planet. That's not acceptable. But before we go charging in one direction or another, We need to make certain that the science is accurate and that we aren't being played for fools. This is, to me, kind of like Chicken Little offering to sell you a Kevlar umbrella because the sky is falling. We don't want you to get hurt. You have to have a Kevlar umbrella. Give me a break. By the way, the the Paris uh, Treaty on the Environment was more about money than anything else, carbon tax and that sort of thing. There are individuals, again, who are hell-bent on looting the U.S. economy. And if you don't believe it, look at what's happened to the middle class. It's going the way of the dodo bird. It's becoming extinct. And when Biden says good-paying jobs and he's going to flood America with 100 million potential new workers, 
when he says we're going to give you free health care, but they're going to flood the emergency room with patients from all over the world? How in the world does that help to realize these lofty dreams that he promises? Talk about pie in the sky. To make Americans compete with foreign workers is the best way to drive down wages. In 2009, on April the 30th, 2009, Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer. And Alan Greenspan talked about a number of things that were infuriating. I was so darn angry that when he said what he said, I remember I was on a radio show um, the next day, and the young lady whose program I was on said to me, what did you think about Greenspan? I said, well, when I watched him testify, I saw the hearing stream live, I realized I was witnessing the first. And she said, Mike, I know you have a sixth sense of humor. What kind of a first was it? I said it was the first time I'd ever seen someone testify before a hearing who was suffering from rigor mortis. Well, Alan Greenspan talked about how we needed to import virtually unlimited numbers of workers with H-1B visas because that's what Bill Gates wanted to do. Then it was incredible. He said, you know, all these people are getting ready to retire. They haven't retired yet, but they're going to. And we eventually will be able to produce the highly skilled workers we need, but that won't happen for a long time. No, it will happen never. When you destroy the wages of high-paying jobs, they're no longer high-paying jobs, no one's going to want to waste their time going to school to take that job. The reason people want to go to school and get a profession isn't only because they find the work interesting, and hopefully they do, but the reward is you make a better paycheck so you live a better life. So education is an investment not only in your future but the future of your children and your family. You get a Ph.D., you should make more than if you you know, barely got out of high school. That's why capitalism is supposed to work. And by the way, when AOC, as some call her, I call her Alexandria the barmaid, when she screams about corporate welfare, well, I agree with her. I do believe that Amazon should pay taxes the way any other company does. Uh, you know, I've heard some journalists on, on the conservative program say, oh, my God, they were going to bring jobs. Well, by that standard, any company, any business that creates jobs shouldn't have to pay taxes. The corner delicatessen hires six people. He's creating jobs. He shouldn't have to pay taxes. The dry cleaner has four people working for him. He shouldn't have to pay taxes. That's baloney. But the biggest form of corporate welfare you could ever possibly imagine is the importation of a foreign army of workers who work for substandard wages under substandard conditions. So let me read to you what Alan Greenspan had to say, because he was testifying at the behest of Chuck Schumer, and he's written articles since then that absolutely continue this mythology that he has created or this position that he's an advocate for. He explains why we need to have all these H-1B visa holders come to America. And he says there's two benefits. First, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, the current glut of which is depressing prices of American homes. And, of course, house price declines are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunge in value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed Securities that contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. No, that was his subprime mortgages. And by the way, he's right. It would be boost the price of real estate. So if you drive down wages and boost the price of real estate, what do you wind up with? Homelessness. Look around, folks. How many homeless people do you see? And, yes, the, the, the open borders crowd will tell you, oh, these are all people who are mentally ill or they're drug users. Yeah, they're drug users because the pharmaceutical markets have been pushing these drugs and getting people hooked, and then they look for street drugs when they can't get prescriptions, okay? Think of what's going on here. But this is the one that will get to you. This is where you will understand that Biden's promise of better jobs, good-paying jobs, is a big, fat lie, a promise he has no intention of keeping. The second bonus, that is, to bringing in all these foreign workers, would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. In other words, someone's getting too much money. And I don't think he's talking about Gates, Zuckerberg, or himself. And he says this, greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower the wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. 
skill shortages in America exist because we're shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Folks, that's what the immigration laws of today are supposed to prevent, prevent Americans from having to compete with foreign workers. That goes back to Roosevelt, okay? And then he says this, and this is infuriating. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism, and in the process, we have created a privileged elite whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals. Eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality. Privileged elite? When was the last time you heard of American workers being called by that when we're talking about the middle class? Wage inequality will be ended by doing what? Cutting the wages of the middle class. So everybody will then become part of the same economic group, the working poor, if they have a job at all. That's called communism. But meanwhile, earlier in the report, he says, oh, my gosh, if we could bring in all these workers, we could achieve much more wealth. Wealth for whom? Because right here he's talking about cutting the wage premium. He would get wealthier. The people that own Amazon and Google and Microsoft, the people at the top of the food chain would literally make out like bandits. That's the goal of the Biden-Harris administration. That's what they're talking about. Defund the police. No more drug enforcement. So if you have drugs, no problem. If you commit a crime, no jail. Do you want to live in that kind of chaos? Does this make sense to anyone? Have we not seen enough carnage? Even the media that tried to conceal it finally had to concede that stores were burned and looted and so forth. I was watching yesterday uh, a news program, and they showed this very nice lady in Minnesota. Her business was burned to the ground. So the Mall of America, and I've been there, it's an incredible facility, huge. It's the biggest mall in America. And it's heated, by the way, without a heating system. They use skylights and and electricity and, and, and the warmth of the people and so forth. Amazing piece of architecture. They gave her and a bunch of other storekeepers who lost their businesses free space in the mall. By the way, the woman was black. So Black Lives Matter and did what? Destroyed the businesses for black merchants who were trying to support themselves and their families. So now when the people in those communities want to go to a restaurant or want to go to a store, there's an empty lot where the store used to be. In Louisville, guess what the riotous tried to burn to the ground? The library, the place where children can go to learn. You want to get people out of poverty, education is the the solution. My mother came to this country at the age of 13 and lived by herself in a rooming house and supported herself by working in a sweatshop, making $3 an hour, making umbrellas, and still managed to send a few cents back home to her mother who couldn't get out of Poland. She didn't have white privilege. She had American privilege. But she said to me, the solution for you, Mike, is go to college. My parents had it drummed into my head by the time I was six years old that I was going to go to college. I didn't know what college was. I just knew that when I got older, I had better go there. My parents would be disappointed. The tragedy is they both died of cancer before I graduated. So it was a tough day when I did graduate. It was a day of mixed emotions. But that's what American privilege is supposed to be about, folks. Have a good education. That's why the Equal Employment Opportunity Act was about to provide great jobs for all Americans, particularly American blacks. That's what the Brown versus Board of Education was about. Separate but equal isn't equal. To make certain that every child gets the same level of education so they can be as successful as they could possibly be. Why in the world would we turn all of that on its ear? Something for you to think about. God willing, President Trump will get through this problem and he'll be back in action within the next week or so. It's something we can all pray for. But meanwhile, I hope all of you have a wonderful weekend. Take good care of yourselves. And please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Have those conversations with your neighbors and share my articles and the link to this podcast with as many folks as you can. I hope it helps people to see the truth. There is only one version of that truth. See you next week. So long for now.